and top of the morning, Acme Army. How are we doing? Appreciate everybody out there listening and liking, subscribing, and sharing on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, YouTube. Checking us out on Twitter at Acme underscore Army, Instagram at Acme Army, Facebook at Acme Army. We're growing, people, because of you. Appreciate you. Let's get it. Asking about that How about them Packers? Yeah, buddy, we are back for a Wednesday show. Probably going to get this out early, early Thursday evening because it's going to be a long night with my puppy. I can smell it. I took her to the vet today, guys. You know what she did? She got the uh, vaccine boosters. You know what that did to her? Made her sleep for about three hours. Then you know what happened? She's torn out two plants inside the house. First time ever. You know, that's the difference between Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. Over there, the dogs are getting vaccine. We can't get vaccine up here. It's unbelievable. <laughs> that's what I mean. Well, we got a great show lined up, everybody. We have uh, we have Peter Jones from the U.K. with us today, and we are going to talk all kinds of fun things about the Green Bay Packers. Peter is one of the most intelligent uh, Packer uh, fans, and as well as being a historian, we're going to touch on all of his strengths today because he sent over a spreadsheet today, gentlemen, to talk about – some of the values in gaining uh, our salary cap via cutting some of these players. And that was a great spreadsheet you sent over, Peter. So we're going to get into that. Also want to touch on, uh, maybe we'll touch on that Super Bowl for a little bit, for maybe a second. I just want to talk about Tom Brady for a little bit, cool down those Twitter haters, and uh, get on to our Packer profile of the day. Hall of Famer, Gold Jacket member, Charles Woodson. So all that's coming up in the show. Thank you for joining us. But first things first, Peter, how we doing? We're, we're doing we're doing really, we're doing really good, Eric. Although I'm, I'm not quite sure how we follow Eric's joke. I mean that's just that's just the joke <laughs> of the season. That one. I'm not quite sure how we how, how we top that. End the show now is probably the answer. But yeah, I'll explain it to the end. <laughs> no, doing doing really good, guys. Thanks. Awesome, awesome. Good to see you again, Eric. How we doing in the North Woods, man? Yeah, we're still below zero, but uh, there's some cloud cover, so I think we're gonna we might see five, six degrees uh, this afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, other than that, we're really excited, looking forward to the Super Bowl on Sunday. Can't wait to see what happens there. <laughs> um, <laughs> of course, I am talking about the rebroadcast of the 2011 Super Bowl. And, mm. Yeah, well, let's get into the Super Bowl real quick because uh, all of the people on Twitter uh, unhappy about the comparisons of Tom Brady being the greatest all time. Maybe the NFL needs to retire the number 12 altogether league-wide. <laughs> um, what Tom Brady had to do, the quarterbacks he beat to get to the Super Bowl. Guys, the numbers don't lie. Tom Brady, great leader, did not have some of the best stats of his career, but he's a winner. All right. What do we feel about these comparisons to everybody else, specifically Aaron Rodgers? What do you think, Eric? Well, first, to get the Super Bowl uh, garbage out of the way, uh, Breeze, Rodgers, Mahomes, that's uh, that's pretty impressive. Uh, pretty impressive. Uh, again, as I've said several times before, I uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers has got to play eight more years to to really be in the conversation. Um, but you know, in in basketball, as though as the example I always use, Bill Russell eleven championships, 
Is he better than Michael Jordan? Is, is he the greatest of all time? No. Um, you know, you can, you can go back to a Charles Woodson uh, terrible, terrible officiating call, which ended, which would have been Brady's second Super Bowl, I believe. Um, goodness gracious. Uh, Tom Brady's a winner. He's, he's the best game manager. Um, you said specific to Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers throws uh, for a higher percentage, longer passes, more touchdowns, a lot less interceptions. Um, still seven titles. He's got more championships than the Steelers do. He's got more championships than the Patriots do. Yeah. Well, it's just the uh, goat conversation and him being the goat and broad goat this and goat that. And I just think football is the ultimate team sport. What are your feelings, Peter? Exactly that. It is the ultimate team sport. And, and whilst, you know, it's more of a passing league than it's, than it's ever been. Um, I think it's, I think when you look at the GOAT conversation, if you have to have that conversation, um, it's just one factor, isn't it? You know, you, you, you want to look at the complete body of work. Um, stats do come into it. They absolutely do. Um, you look at innovation and you look at the ability to win. And, and you know, no quarterback has had a greater ability to win the big game than Tom Brady. So that's one factor in that in that whole conversation. Mm. Winning seven championships doesn't make him the best ever. Um, you know, Bart Starr won five. Dan Marino won none. Jim Kelly won none. Bora Moon won none. Um, you know, it doesn't make Dan Marino a worse quarterback than, give me a name, Brad Johnson that won one, one Super Bowl or Trent Dilford at 1-1 Super Bowl. So it's simply one, one statistic, one impo very important statistic, but I think when you're judging the, the GOAT, I think it's a number of things. It's a, it's a, you're looking at stats, you're looking at innovation, you're looking at the ability to win, you're looking at who they played with, the year they played in, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Three words pop to mind. What he said. <laughs> Well, one thing was crystal clear this weekend. Aaron won his MVP. We touched on it Monday, Eric. Peter, was there any question in your mind who the MVP was going to be this year? No, certainly from about probably around mid-season onwards, I guess. It, it just felt like it was Aaron Rodgers' to lose, you know, and, unless unless he kind of fell apart in the second half of the season, which, you know, was never going to happen or somebody did something ultra exceptional. It just felt like for me, it was, it was Rogers had almost won it by week 10, say. Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 you know, and others have played well, you know, Russell Wilson had played well in the first three or four weeks of the season, but fell away. Josh Allen had, you know, a good year. Mahomes had a had a very good year, but but none of them, in my view, were anywhere near the year that Aaron Rodgers had. And you know, I have to say, it surprised me. It really surprised me that he was that good this year. Mm -hmm. But he was. Yeah, he was fantastic. Uh, no question about that. One of the things that I just have a problem processing, I guess, altogether is last year were the luckiest. 13 and 3 team with a first year head coach. This year in the second year, it's 13 and 3 again to the NFC Championship game. What does it take to win the NFL coach of the year? 
Because when Stefanovsky comes into the Cleveland Browns, they had 11 victories, made it to the playoffs. They were a good team. It was a great improvement for them. What's the difference? What am I missing here, Peter? So, so I think one of the biggest factors in in in, in that is 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 always how much has a team improved. Um, mm. Should it be that way? I I don't know, but it but it but it always is. And I think one of the starting points for who's in the running for that coach of the year award is look at how many games the teams won this year as compared to how many they won last year. You know, so they won four more or five more or six more than last year, and that's a really good starting point to work out who's going to win that award. Yeah. Having said that, that says to me that Lafleur should have been in the running last year. Mm-hmm. And then you go back to that. He wasn't in the running last year because the Packers were lucky. Mm-hmm. You know, they were the fluky 13 and three team that should have been three and 13. If you read, a, you know, read, yeah. <laughs> believed everything, everything you read. So I think last year was the year that Lafleur really should have been in the, in the conversation. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, that's it. I think I think it's I think it's an award for the most improved team record-wise, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would just jump in and, and say that's where I that's where I uh, uh, differ with Peter just a little bit. Um, I suspect that there are because uh, we are a website that uh, runs in conspiracy theories that there's a connection to Cleveland that Peter's not been completely forthright about. <laughs> um, but no, I, I, I guess I just think of all the bad press that Lafleur got last year, uh, bad press in the sense that, you know, we overachieved and got lucky and did all of this. And then, of course, we go out and we have the worst draft in the history of the NFL. Um, we're picked by everyone to be the most uh, most likely to regress and then to come on and, you know, have the ball um, twice in the in late in the game with a chance to take the lead and go to the Super Bowl. To me, that's more impressive than Stefanski. But it's it's hard to argue that Stefanski didn't do a fantastic job. And I actually, I do agree with Peter that I think a lot of it uh, has to do with with uh, improvement and turning around. And and while I think we were a much better team this year than we were last year, if you look at that metric, Cleveland was a vastly better team this year than they were last year. And and that's one of those that's one of those awards that we're just accustomed never to winning anyway. So <laughs> it kind of is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on because the offseason is officially kicked off here. And some of the biggest questions we have March 17th is the date that is on everybody's calendar right now. 4 p.m. Eastern. Free agency starts. And the questions that we have on our team are the same things we've been talking all year, but right now it's actually coming to fruition. Like the, the reality is here. Peter, you did a great job on talking about how much money we could save on uh, players with either restructures or having those players outright cut. Um, but I want to start kind of in, in, in some of these players that maybe are not mentioned right off the bat, right? Like I want to talk about like a Devin Funches. His contract is confusing for me a little bit on the savings regarding he signed last year and that contract gets moved over this year. But when I look on Spotrack, you know, I'm not, I don't know, I don't know how I'm digesting this, um, you know, this contract for him where it says, you know, he's, it's, 
it's a million dollars we're going to save. He's going to count a million dollars in dead money. Am I missing something here, Peter? What what's, what do you understand about that Devin Funches contract for 2.5? Yeah, well, the big, the big saving is, is, is his base salary if they, if they, if they were to cut him. So, so it is, and, it, and, it's, and it's a very, it's almost, well, it is a unique situation in that in the, even though um, he in essence signed a one-year contract, it's a, it's a, it's a one-year contract that's become two half years almost. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. It's not two years, but it's kind of half of it. So the signing bonus that he got counted in 2020. So that's where the part of the part of the the um cap money is and that's already gone okay um but his base salary and his workout bonus counts in 2021 okay. so if they were to if they were to cut him that 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 um uh signing bonus is already gone they've already okay. counted that against the 2020 cap so that's why it's a even though the contract value is two point something mm-hmm. 2.5. 2.5 half of that's already gone yeah so I've, I've got a question and looking at that sheet, Peter, which was fabulous, by the way. Thank you for uh, passing that along. The, the one that sort of intrigued me was MVS. And, and that is he's under contract this year. And yeah. I look at, at the number. Did you do that anticipating the performance bonus that he's going to get? No, so, so that, yeah, so that includes the... Um, the um, PPE bonus, so puts it up above his, his base salary, up above two, nearly to two point two million mm-hmm. in twenty twenty one. Yeah, that's what I suspected. And and, and, that, and that's an interesting one. And I, you know, he's on that list simply because it's an option. I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest that, that they will cut him. Um, but it's an interesting one around that, you know, that performance escalator because it actually, whilst it potentially pays a player more money, it also actually puts them at more risk of being cut. Mm-hmm. particularly in a year like this year. Yeah. Well, we're not advocating that MBS be cut. No, we're not. No, by not any all. means. No. But, <laughs> but, you know, what, you know, I mean, I, I when I saw it, Peter, I thought if we have the opportunity for a Corey Davis from Tennessee and, and we got some money freed up somewhere, somehow, some way, and, and he became one of those last resorts, would you cash in an MBS for him? And I don't know if I would do that yet either. So, I mean, uh is he candidate though for one of these, you know, three-year extensions, Peter? Is 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 he one of these kind of guys you can you can cheapen it out and spread it out because yeah. you know you can build on something with a number three, number four with that like that. Yeah, I, I think I think he is a candidate. Well, what what I don't think is I don't think you're going to save a lot of money cap wise. Okay. Uh, you know the the two point two you're going to have to give him a, a signing bonus of say say even even three three four five million signing bonus over three years and straight away you're counting a million plus just on his signing bonus in each year against the cap by the time you paid his base salary you're nearly getting back up to the two million that you started with but i but i think once they get through march i think i think that mbs is a candidate for an extension because i don't think they want to get him into his last year yeah now it's it's going to get like all of these, sorry, it's obviously like all of these things, it's going to be about dollars and cents, isn't it? If, if he comes in wanting five million a year, well, he's not going to get it. Yeah. Um, but, if, but if he's sensible about it, um, I could see an extension there, yeah. Well, that, that's kind of where my curiosity, and Eric and I spoke uh, yesterday, and, and that is, you know, if is it 
feasible to do something with him now that creates, you know, a bigger, you know, adding on uh, to the uh, to the cap in 22 and 23 and 24, because he is the guy, like you said, that needs to be extended now because with with simply his age uh, and his evolution, he's a guy that could on the open market could get a pretty nice contract, probably one we don't want to. Pay. Yeah, and I, and, I, and I think you're absolutely right. I think I think when you've got somebody who's an athlete like he is with that speed, you know, you can teach a lot of things, but you can't teach speed, you know. And I, I think that there will always be teams that are prepared to pay a premium for a, for a, for that kind of guy because there aren't that many of them. Mm. You know, there's not many that can that have the speed, the outright blazing speed that he has over over an extended length and yeah i mean i think on the open market um, i has i don't know what the number would be but I, but i think the packers would struggle to compete with a team on the open market particularly as he gets to free agency next year mm-hmm. um you know she's so got this season so it'd be it would be march april 2022 when the cap is likely to have recovered covid permitting yeah well i don't think you can put a price also on chemistry in the time it takes to build chemistry with number 12 and to bring in that new cog and try to bring that up to speed and build that chemistry when we're, we're, we're talking about two, three year window here. I want to talk about some of these obvious cuts that we have seen all over Packer nation and see if there's anything else that we have not uncovered Peter or talked about that uh, you might be thinking, but Ricky Wagner, he seems like uh, an easy, uh, cut from the I guess performance and depth perspective that we might have but 4.2 million seems like a a no-brainer is there something uh, you're thinking he should stay for well I I I think I think prior to Bakhtiari's injury it was a no-brainer I think I think in the back of the Packers minds might well be that they suspect suspect that Bakhtiari's Either out for the whole of next next season, or, or he's going to be out for the majority of next season. You know, reasonably expected. That's a nine to twelve month recovery, assuming everything goes well. So that's the only kind of cog in the wheel for me, or the not sure that's the right expression, but that, but that's the that's the 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 reticence about Wagner being cut, if you like, is just how do they think they stand at the tackle position? If Bakhtiari is not coming back for a while, that just leaves you, in essence, Billy Turner as, um, you know, a veteran to play going into the year, and that and that's quite dangerous. Eric, this is when I want to cue your Yosh Nyman. <laughs> yes, Nyman. Well, you know, and they just talked about him yesterday, and that uh, the development that uh, he's had in the last two years, he wouldn't be wouldn't be there if. Um, Stenovich and uh, Lafleur weren't real, real high on him, but he's he's just a guy. He's a mountain, um, mountain of a man. But I want to go back to Peter with with uh, sticking with Wagner for a second, and that is, given this sort of really strange set of circumstances uh, due to COVID that the league finds itself in, are some of these guys that we look at as you know probable or or uh, wise cuts. I mean, do you see a scenario where uh, Wagner gets cut and then signs 
for a million and a half or two million to so yeah. effectively reducing his contract significantly by releasing him and clearing that space from your book? That's great. Point. So, so, so that um, it's a great point. I, th I think the answer to that question is yes. And, and it, and it might not be Wagner. So it might be Wagner gets cut and you end up signing a Wagner equivalent yeah. From, yeah. from another team who's, who's, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's a really good, really good point. And that's something that we have to bear in mind that, because of the reduction in the market that, you know, there are going to be players, Ricky Wagner type players that are going to be available, whether that's Ricky Wagner himself or a, t or a similar type player from another team. Yeah. So right. can, I, can I just sneak in here, Eric? Um, we're, we are uh, working on some technological advancements and I'm not sure where we stand. Is it possible um, to put up Peter's numbers so that so that others can see. Yeah, I can't that, do it right now. Not yet. Okay. Yeah, well, I tried, I tried before. It came up before, and I, it went over my head. It was it was here for a day, Eric. We had to enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the question that I wanted to go to next to it with with Peter is um, when you look at the information that you've provided and and the other stuff that's out there, it seems with with some cuts and with some restructures, Green Bay can get you know, $40 million plus. And, you know, I, I, and I think it's, it's somewhere, correct me if I'm wrong in that sort of five to $7 million it might be more with three compensatory picks this year, but to, to sign that draft, the, the upcoming draft class. Um, I'm just curious how you feel about uh, reworking these contracts, making some of the more obvious, uh, you know, the Wagners, the Kirksey's, um, maybe the Lowry's, these guys, and clearing that. Do you think that if we're able to do that, that maybe there all of a sudden becomes room for a Corey Lindsley or an Aaron Jones? Or do you think we're going to go bargain shopping and look at an awful lot of cap casualties that are going to happen in this sort of weird year we're in? I think you just covered every possible question on this sheet. Good job, Eric. <laughs> Thanks for cutting the podcast down to one question. Hit it, Peter. The answer is yes, then. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, um, can they create enough move to be enough uh, space to be movers and shakers in the free agency market? I think the answer is yes. Um, I think the issue they have is a is a timing issue because they've got to make all of these moves or a number of these moves by March the 17th when the league year starts. Um, and, you know, it then depends on how much under the cap they've got, they've got at that point to be able to think about potentially, you know, franchise tagging, for example, Aaron Jones or a, or a Corey Lindsley or, or, or playing the market. And, and I think going back to your earlier point, I think, I suspect they're more likely to play the market because the market will be reduced. Um, now, having said that, I expect them to be talking to Aaron Jones and I expect them to be talking to, to Corey Lindsley. And I know there's been reports of Lindsley and or his agents saying the Packers haven't talked to him yet, um, but I expect the Packers to be talking to them. Um, but I, but I, I expect that one or both of those is, is is gone just because of the just because of the numbers. I think there will be a team, for example, that comes and pays Aaron Jones twelve million a year. Wow.
Yo, Acme Army family, I hope you are still meeting your goals in 2021 and continue with that health and wellness awareness by checking out tuliptreegardensco.com for all their CBD and hemp products. They are amazing. Let me just tell you, though, right now, make it crystal clear. Their citrus CBD oil is the best CBD oil I have ever had in my entire life. Go out there, check out the 3,000 milligram citrus CBD oil and see what it can do to change your life. TulipTreeGardenCO.com, doing it right, planting those seeds, watching them grow, producing, manufacturing everything in-house and delivering it to you guys, the consumers. They are fantastic. TulipTreeGardenCO.com. Citrus CBD oil. Change your life. All right, now. Let's get back into the show. I saw on uh, the Spotrack site, looking at the market values for both Lindsley and Jones, they had Lindsay at uh, about $9 million a year for a three-year contract. Who let the dogs out? Let's edit that one. Uh, also, they had a $14 million market value for Aaron Jones. Wow. On. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're looking at fifty-six million over four years. I, I just, it. There, there are teams who are under the cap at Jacksonville somewhere like that that absolutely can pay that money, and they can, and they can pay, it and they can out outbid just about everybody. And when it comes down to dollars and cents. I just don't think the Packers can compete with that kind of money, nor should they. So, so Peter, in addition to all the other questions I've dumped on your desk, let, let me add two. Um, one, uh, you know, looking at the sheet that you provided, there are, there are a tremendous amount of money that can be gained by restructuring um, a number of these contracts, Bakhtiari's, Rogers, et cetera. Are there drawbacks to the player or reasons why they wouldn't want to do that, number one? And, and number two, with someone like Lindsley, now I, I just that's the number I just heard at nine million dollars a year uh, for a three-year deal. Um, let's just, for the purposes of math, say it's ten million. Can you, with the anticipated cap growth that's going to come back and the new CBA, can you do something like uh, so? That's thirty million for three years. Can you do five this year? and 12 and a half over the next two. So overpay them for the last two years a little bit, but get them in cheaper to, to keep that old line solid. Yeah, so you certainly can do that. And the way you do that is by, is by almost overpaying in signing bonus. So let's say, let's say you wanted to give him 10 million a year over, over three years, the, thir the 30 million. Um, the easiest way to, to, to make it cheaper in the first year would be to give him say a 12 million signing bonus. Um, because that signing bonus gets spread over the three years for the cap. So he gets 12 million up front. You pay him the minimum base salary that says a, a million. So he actually gets 13 million in the, in the first year. But from the Packers cap point of view, you know, that counts 5 million against the cap in, in 2021. So you absolutely can do that. Because it seems like, uh, it seems, and we've talked about this, the three of us have talked about this, Aaron Jones is gone. Uh, I, I just I don't I don't see a scenario where we're going to be able to to keep him, and 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 sort of the, the the next question that to me that falls in line, and the, probably the reason why they haven't been talking with Jamal Williams, is that Aaron Jones, uh, whom they have been talking with over the last uh, three or four months, is the priority when it becomes abundantly clear. Uh, 
does Jamal Williams then do you do you look at next year of having Jamal Williams core or not Corey Dillon AJ Dillon uh, and uh, and uh, you know who knows Dexter or somebody from the draft uh, do they do they Mike go Weber that way? The rise of Mike Weber is going to be upon us. <laughs> I um yeah I so there's there's a number of questions I haven't quite caught up on yet. Um, but but yeah I, I mean I think the Jamal Williams thing's interesting because he's a super player, um, but there's probably across the league a number of Jamal Williams types who quite possibly will be available. And so, again, you get into the how much does would he want to stay with the Packers? Is there another team out there that's, that's going to overpay him? Possibly. Um, so I think it really just comes down to, to you know, dollars and cents, like all, of, like all of those things. But I wanted to pick up on a couple of the other. So there was a question about the drawbacks, and, that, and, and it's important. So when you're doing all of this restructuring to, in essence, move salary cap dollars around, what you're basically doing is moving that cost into next year or the year after. And so you have to pay the piker at some point. Now, obviously, the teams are going to expect that the cap increases quite a lot next year and, and the following year. But you never know. You never know how that's going to play out. So if you take... Just for an example, David Bakhtiari, who's due an 11 million roster bonus in uh, March. If you convert that to signing bonus, you basically move 8 million of that roster bonus into future years. So you can cut the cap this year by 8.3, but you're moving 8.3 into future years. At some point, you know, that 8.3 comes and hits your cap. And that's okay when it's one player or even a couple of players. But if you do that a lot, you end up in the position that the New Orleans Saints are in, where they're the best part of 100 million over the cap. You know, and they're, and they're looking for everybody everybody to divvy up something now because they've got no money at all. So that's the, that's the danger. As I say, the plus side to that is everybody expects the cap to be going up. So a million this year doesn't have the same value as a million next year or vice, or vice versa. The other question you asked in there, which is an important point, is when it comes to some of these contract restructures, when you're converting roster bonus into signing bonus, that doesn't require a new contract and it doesn't require the player to sign off on it either. So the CBA allows a team to convert roster bonus to signing bonus just like that. Just have to notify the player and notify the league and job done. And the reason for that is the player still gets the money up front. So if we take back to Ari's example again, 11 million roster bonus due March 20th. Even if that's converted to signing bonus, he still gets the same amount of money on the same day. All it does is change the way that the Packers have to account for it in the salary cap. So from a player's perspective, no change whatsoever. Interesting. Now, obviously, it gets far more complex when you get into doing contract extensions and stuff like that, because that does totally change the player's contract. But yeah. the simple, the simple, he says, in inverted commas, conversion of roster bonus to signing bonus can be done um, just by the team. 
Interesting. Uh, moving along, I think there's some some pretty obvious extension candidates we need to talk about real quickly. First on my list, outside of Devontae Adams, uh, is Adrian Amos. I don't know. Does he feel like a player that you want for the next uh, five years on your team? Tough to project out that far, but Adrian Amos is a player in my book. And when I see him on the, we could make this money cutting him, I'm going, how <laughs> dare you, Peter Jones? I, I, I thought of you when I was putting him on there. I mean, he, 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 I mean, that, I mean that's clearly there just for just for complete. Uh, yeah. I, I, I what I would expect with that, with with Amos is is that um, is that they're going to convert that roster bonus um, between now and March the twentieth to help them get over this immediate mm-hmm. immediate issue. Yeah. Um, and then I think they're going to talk extension come the come the summer. So yeah, I I I would imagine so. Yes. Yeah. And one more is Alan Lazard. From a contract perspective, from the exclusive rights free agent. Are we talking with performance and everything else on there? He's going to be in the three million dollar range. No, less less than that. Less than that. I don't, I don't know off the top of my head what the exclusive rights number is, but it's not, it's it's not a huge amount. When you look at so the restricted free agents like Bobby Tonyan and stuff, the lowest restricted free agent tender I think is two point, just over two million. Which means the exclusive rights number is less than that. One point eight five or something, I think, when we talked about it last time. But isn't there a player performance on top of that that he would get, or no? Um, in 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 his next year, not in not in this not in this coming season. I'm so confused on this. This isn't. Let, let, let's let's play. Make a note here, Eric. We're going to need to dive deeper. <laughs> I'm just I'm swimming a little bit. Well, I'm a well, knucklehead. It, hey. You, you and I talked yesterday, and the two of the names that we talked about were just mentioned, and that's mm-hmm. Alan Lazard and Robert Tanya. Mm-hmm. Now, and what I what I said to Eric yesterday is, if you if you look at the growth and development of both, but uh, I'm, now I'm I'm talking about Tanya because he's in a slightly different uh, category. Is that a guy, a young ascending player, uh, doesn't miss games, doesn't drop balls? Uh, is, is that the kind of guy that? Is this the wrong year to try to do a, a four or five year deal with him um, before? I mean, if he has another year like next year, um, he's going to want Travis Kelsey money, and he he's you know he's there with the touchdowns. Well, he's not quite there with the yards and the catches, but he doesn't drop. You, you know, he he isn't at, at Travis Kelsey's level because he didn't get the opportunities that Travis Kelsey um, had. So is there any sense in if you look at a guy that's that looks like a foundation block um, to lock them up longer term now? Or is this just something, uh, given the cap situation with COVID, that you're just kind of going to have to wait and pay the piper with these guys as they come up? So, so my suspicion is yes with, with Robert Tony. And I think, you know, the deci- decision that because he's a restricted free agent, they've got this interesting decision with him because he was undrafted. You have three tenders with a restricted free agent that the Packers have to have to give one of the three um, to get the first, right of first refusal. Now there's a first round tender, a second round tender and an original round tender, which means that if the Packers let him go, having given him the tender, they'd get either a first rounder or a second rounder or an original round, which in his case would be no, no compensation whatsoever. 
So they're in quite an interesting boat because they probably have got to put a second round tender on him um, to ensure that if a team came along and offered him silly money, that they would at least get a second round draft pick compensation. Now, that second round tender is three point around three and a half million dollars, which is a lot, which is a lot of money. They're in exactly the same situation, by the way, with Tim Boyle, which is an interesting, which is an interesting situation. But I, but I think with I think with Tonyan, I think they have to put that second round tender on him, and then I think that then drives the conversation that you've just described, Eric. I think at that point, once 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 they put that ton tender on him, I think you're then into the conversation about an extension, because you can get an extension where the first year would be the equivalent of three and a half or even less anyway. So, yeah, with an with an exclusive rights free agent like he is, do you have to go through that? That so, uh, that procedure first, or could he be signed to a four-year contract and avoid the uh, uh, having to to hang a, a level of compensation on him? So, so, so Bobby Tonyan's a restricted free agent, non non exclusive. Oh, excuse me, uh, right. So, so, if you can get him, if you can get him signed immediately to a new deal, then no, you don't have to go through that. The the, the issue is that on March the seventeenth, if you don't issue that tender, he becomes a free agent. So that you've then got the the timing period between can I get him signed before somebody else signs him mm-hmm. and and risk losing him for nothing. So they're gonna they're gonna put that tender on him and then go, and then go from there. Go from there. Well, it's February tenth and we got uh, another month and seven days, right? <laughs> uh, I'm just ballparking that with my eyes here on the calendar, but um, lots of fun days for us to discuss. I can't wait to see. Who's some of these other players that could potentially replace these guys on this list that are coming down? Because, you know, again, I said put the price on Jamal Williams for being a Packer person. I have a hard time seeing any other running back coming in here and making that impact. But uh, funny that I, uh, you know, I, I was reading a redraft today, and for the second round, the Packers redrafted A.J. Dillon. So, <laughs> how quickly how quickly things change, Eric? It's just bonkers. Hey guys, we got to move along though because we had uh, we're, we're 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 approaching that point where we need to hit uh, this really special part of our show, which I love and can't wait, and just want everybody to know that again, it is the only. <laughs> He's got it. Trivia yeah. question. <laughs> Violet. Listen, I, I'm so happy that this weekend and and Peter, thank you for going on Twitter. And please follow Peter at Profoot History and uh, re- retweeting the Acme Army uh, clip for uh, what the Hall of Fame discussion we had on YouTube from the top 15. And let me tell you something. You are so accurate on your assessments. It was pretty amazing. We talked about Alan Fanica and how don't know how he doesn't get in there just just being the Steelers lineman that he was right Megatron you called right away Peyton Manning of course Charles Woodson was going to be in there and we had the great discussion about Leroy Butler and John Lynch John Lynch makes it in and Leroy Butler sits out how did that one feel first and foremost Peter um, this, I was dis, I was disappointed, but I'd resigned myself to the fact that that, that was going to be the way. And 
there's part of me that says, you see, if I think if Lynch hadn't got in, I don't think Butler would get, I don't think Butler was ever going to get in until Lynch had got in. Mm. Right. And it shouldn't be that way. And Butler for me was a far more impactful player, a better player, but that's neither here nor there. Now I think what it does do is with Lynch out of the way, Butler got made it to the final 10 this year with Lynch out of the way. It, it must make Butler one of the front runners to get in next year. You know, he, he almost had to have Lynch get out of the way at water, get out of the way two years ago. Um, and I think it will be his time next year. Mm-hmm. I hope so. I'm going to keep my fingers crossed, but this is one heck of a pro football hall of fame class. And there is just no other way to get into a former Packer profile with Peter Jones and to come off the gold jacket ceremony, introduction, nomination, confirmation, Mr. Baker knocking on the door saying, you are the one, Charles Woodson. Charles Woodson played for the Green Bay Packers for a lot less time than we might have thought. You know, Charles Woodson is a Packer legend, but he played 11 years with Oakland and seven years in Green Bay. But make no mistake, those years in Green Bay were impactful. They were full of his leadership, his challenging the defense, his challenging the offense, as Aaron Rodgers has said, and uh, was a key part in helping us win a Super Bowl. And so with that, let's kick it off, Peter. With the former Packer legend and great Charles Woodson. Yeah, and it's it's difficult to come up with all of the right words to describe Woodson. I think that um, in Packer history, right up there, you know, you would suggest with with Herb Adley as the top two corners in in Packers history, and we don't have to pick which one was better. It doesn't it doesn't matter. Different eras, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Two, two wonderful players. Um, but Woodson had it all, you know, and, and in, in our era, if you like, in this in this generation across many, many years, you know, you, you just described the number of years that he played in the, in the NFL. Um, he was a great player across a long period of time, but not just a great player, a great leader. You know, people, players got better who played around Charles Woodson. They got better as people and they got better as players. And that, you know, that's what makes very good players become great players for me. Mm-hmm. It's their ability to raise the level of the people around them. Mm-hmm. And and that was and that was Woodson. And you only have to see all of the locker room stuff, <laughs> the, the famous the famous speech and all and all and all of that kind of thing. Um, just to know how adored he was by by the other players and how, you know, he made them better players. Mm-hmm. As a corner, without a peer across his period of time, you know, um, speed. Now, some of that speed went as he got older, but that happens with, with all of us, even, even me. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, you know, speed um breaking on the breaking on the ball clearly was a great studier of the game um and you can see that in in many of his you look at his interceptions um 
I looked at just just last week. I looked at on YouTube. There was a somebody had put up there Charles Woodson's big plays, and and, and normally you kind of you look at one of those, and they're kind of a couple of minutes long. Well, this one was like fourteen minutes long. There were so <laughs> there were so many of them, and you know the way that he broke on the ball. But he was tough as well, you know, very, very strong. He could cover tight ends when, he, if he needed to cover tight ends, he could just, he could just do it all. And I, I just can't find enough superlatives, really, to talk about, to say about Charles, Charles Woodson, and and people forget this: his ability to bounce back from injury, because he had a lot of injuries mm-hmm. through through his career. Um, but it all goes back, you know, to the days, certainly his days at at Michigan when he was, you know, just an outstanding won the Heisman Trophy as a defensive player, but he was the outstanding player in a year, in two years, in three years. No question. When when Peyton Manning was playing, mm. and people, you know, people now think of Peyton Manning, the Indianapolis stroke Denver quarterback, but they forget how good Peyton Manning was in college. Mm-hmm. Well, Charles Woodson was better than that. Mm-hmm. That's how good Woodson was as a college player. And it just got better from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the interception against Ohio State when he was uh, five yards in front of the receiver was one of the greatest highlights uh, I ever watched a game live. Couldn't believe it was happening. And that's the play that stuck in my mind is exactly when he came to Green Bay. Because when he came to Green Bay, that was 2006. He had been with Oakland, you know, for eight years. I mean, he had a heck of a run at Oakland in those eight years. He did, and what, and what people tend to look at his pro career and kind of split it into threes, kind of mm-hmm. first Oakland, Green Bay, then second Oakland. Mm-hmm. But I kind of split it into into fours because I think you can split that first Oakland spell in two. There was the, the kind of 98 to 2001, 2002. Yeah. And then he, he had a few injuries, yeah, 2002, 2002, yeah. 2002 onwards. And, you know... People forget this now, but when the Packers picked him up as a free agent and paid a lot of money for him in 2006, mm-hmm. there weren't a lot of suitors for him. There weren't huge numbers of teams that were prepared to pay Charles Woodson a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And I think there's 31 other teams regretting not going after him. Yeah, well, that game or that year in 2005 with Oakland, he only played in six games. He had one interception, uh, four passes defended, and one forced fumble. Not a not a huge stat line. So he comes to Green Bay. Yeah, exactly what you just said. Not a whole lot of people that were going out there wanting to open their wallets for him. And there's a funny comment that uh, you know I, I had read over the weekend where he had said Mike McCarthy made him feel welcome when he didn't want to feel welcome. What does that tell you? I think that I, <laughs> I think that. Um, well, it says a lot for me about about Mike McCarthy, but I I I um I, I think it says that I think Charles was wondering where his career was going after that 2005 season. So he'd been fran- he'd been franchise tagged in 2004 and 2005, and so he was still very valuable to the to the Raiders. But you know it was obvious he was going to move on after the 2005 season, and I think that he expected to wanted to go to 
I don't I don't know where it's probably wrong of me to try and pick a, a team out of a out of a hat, but but maybe a more high profile team with a with some with a high profile um, head coach etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so I think that a, a little bit like Reggie White a decade and a half before, yeah yeah decade and a half before, probably Green Bay was way down on his list of places to go. But I don't I don't think once he got there I don't think he ever regretted it. Yeah. Yeah, well, that first year in 2006, he starts 16 games. Eric, he has eight interceptions in his first year in Green Bay. To have a free agent come on and make that splash, we were feeling the effects, the second wave, the second feeling of a Reggie White signing uh, with him coming on board. It, it, it felt like a new leadership, uh, a real top-level talent in small-town Green Bay. And again, eight interceptions in the first year with us. He just proved something. What do you think, Eric? Well, first let me say, go back to uh, uh, when Peter suggested that uh, Herb Adderley and Charles Woodson were clearly the, the top two corners. Couldn't agree more with that statement. And when Woodson won the Heisman, he was a two-way player at, at Michigan, but was also a, um, a predominantly a defensive guy. Um, but just to point out or remind, because I know Peter knows this a lot better than me, but Herb Adderley arrived in Green Bay as an offensive player. It was Vince Lombardi that said, no, you're a cornerback. And turned turned him around and went on to have, you know, up until Charles Woodson, probably the greatest uh, career as a cornerback in, in Green Bay. Um, just a tremendous talent. I, uh, uh, w w what can you say about Charles Woodson um, that uh, you guys haven't already said? Um, consummate professional. And I, I loved what Peter said about, you know, really uh, evaluating a player as being great when they elevate uh, uh, those around them, not only professionally, but personally. And, and that certainly is a, is a great... Uh, great thing and, and then just tying back to what you just said Eric is that yeah you did kind of have that second coming feeling um, with uh, with Reggie White because they were they were uh, iconic players that came to Green Bay and performed fantastically hmm. I mean six really supreme years from him and Peter when he came he 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 flashed but he was still a defensive leader on a defense that needed leadership because the offense was firmly on the right path, on the right crescendo, if I was going to use a musical term, because they were absolute poetry out there with Aaron Rodgers in 2009, and that's when in 16 games we see I, the greatest year I've ever seen from a defensive back with nine interceptions, 179 yards, returning those nine interceptions, and three touchdowns. 30% of his interceptions went for a touchdown. I can't even. <laughs> he forced four fumbles. You know, he had two sacks. I, he, everywhere he was, he was making an impact. And that year, you know, you know exactly what happened that year. Defensive player of the year. We move on and head on to the Super Bowl. What were your feelings on that season, Peter? I, 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 absolutely incredible. And, and you know, that 2009 year, it, it is very difficult to, to imagine 
a defensive player in, of any team in any year or having a better year than he had in 2009. And I'll tell you, Clay Matthews, the third, had a great year in, in 2010. And, and that's that's one for another day. But when you look at the great year that Matthews had in 2010 and then think that Woodson's year was probably better in 2009, you know, that's and that's kind of degrees of better. You're talking about great <laughs> and then somewhere above great, you know. Um, I think that just shows the, the incredible year that, that, that Woodson had in, in, in 2009. And it wasn't one of those situations where he had nine interceptions and, you know, they came in three or four games. It was across. It was across the whole season. He, he won um, Defensive Player of the Month three of the four months in the regular season that that year. That just that just you know, it just says it all. And it's interesting, you know, you raise the thing about the returns for for touchdowns. Um, that's almost just icing on the cake, isn't it? Is is you want the guys to force those turnovers because ultimately, turnovers win win and lose football games. But, you know, there was a fair chance, like you say, one in three chance. And it felt like that throughout his whole career. And it wasn't quite as high as that ratio. But it felt like any time that he picked the ball off, any time the ball was in his hands, that he was capable of scoring. And we kind of didn't mention that in the intro, but that's the added extra thing with, with, with Woodson was that he was so good of an athlete um, and so good anticipating what was what was happening that it's just difficult for me and I, I I try not to get into too many superlatives because there's been great players over a hundred years of the of the NFL but I have to say it's really difficult for me to imagine that there's ever been a greater cornerback when you put all of those things together it, it, it's just if, if if there's been a greater one and somebody might say night train lane and I don't know we didn't see him play um but you know if there's been a greater one the greater one was a damn good football player i'll tell you that <laughs> i think i've lost your audio eric let's make an edit there i had it on mute because my dog was snoring here a little bit ago oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, but 2011 was really the last, uh, you know, great year for him in Green Bay because 2012, he only played in seven games. But uh, in 2011, again, 15 games, seven interceptions, one touchdown, just, just amazing. But Eric, you and I were calling during these years on our telephone calls pre-podcast. It should have been a podcast. Maybe we'd be the fastest rising podcast in Packer Nation right now if we had done that. But listen, we were thinking, you know, why isn't he a full-time? We, we know at left corner he's playing against the biggest receivers, the best in the NFC North, best that the AFC has to offer. We're lining them up out there. Then he starts to slow down, and he has that injury-filled season. And we're saying, why don't we bring him back? Because we love his leadership at a safety position. He's such a natural ball hawk. He could have another nine interceptions back there, you know. And lo and behold, Peter, you know, we kind of switched him in 2012 to to, yeah. to strong yeah. safety yeah. Um, for those for those games. But then we released him after that, and he went back to Oakland from 2013 to 2015. Yeah, but no, absolutely right. You know, the the right call to 
think that he could move inside and, and, and be almost as effective playing safety even you know that late into it late into his career and I, and I think again that just you know in essence took over the safety spot from Nick Collins there was a bit of juggling around there but you know that was the time that Collins got injured and but I think it just showed the football intelligence of of, of Charles Woodson to be able to just slot back there and like you say the same with the Raiders and, and he was successful in those last three years at the Raiders playing safety as well and I, I I'm, I'm I'm almost it's it's difficult to find to find the right words to express how good a player he was, and yeah, I, I he's a guy as Eric said, you know he he played a, a little bit of offense at, at the University of Michigan, he played offense in high school, was a running back in in high school, and he's one of those guys that you just think you could have put him at any position almost, probably not nose tackle, he probably wouldn't wanted to line up opposite the centre there, but you could have put him at almost certainly any skill position and he would, and he would have been a star. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he proved that when he went to Oakland and had, you know, another 10 interceptions in the next three years, Eric, how many do you think he could have had with the Packers in those years when we needed him, when we were playing those Seattle teams, when we were in the hunt still. It would have been nice. You know the the other thing that I I found that I didn't realize in in doing a, a closer look for for this podcast that he signed the big money to come big money contract to come to Green Bay and a, you know a seven year contract which is I I can't imagine that that wasn't uh, extremely rare it certainly you'd never get a seven year contract today but that he he returned punts in that first season. Uh, for 41 punts for my math skills are suspect, but I'm, I'm going to say nine and a half yards, a return. Eight and I, nine, I, yeah. and I just, uh, I just, I, I, I can't imagine taking a guy that you've brought back or brought to green Bay for such a big contract and exposing him to those kind of hits. Um, I don't think you'd see that today. Um, but that just, uh, you know, there wasn't anything that this guy couldn't do and couldn't do better than just about anybody else out there. It's so yeah, funny I, you bring that up, Eric, because he, and, and sorry, Peter, but in 2006, you're right, 41 returns, 363 for 8.9 yards. 2007, he returned 33 punts for 268, 8.1 yards. He takes the next, uh, you know, seven years off, and in 2014, at the age of 38, Oakland's got him returning 28 <laughs> punts for for 9.3 yard average. Unbelievable. And I think, yeah, and I think that's, I think that's the thing. And you know, he was such a good punt returner in college as well. Mm, um, but you know, when he when he came out, Oakland clearly didn't want him to do the to do the job for for obvious reasons. Um, but I think, again, it's another one of those things that you think that says a lot about the man, that when he came to Green Bay, that wasn't his first choice to come to, that he was prepared. Because he could easily have said, I don't want to return punts, and they wouldn't have made it, and they wouldn't have made him do it. Mm-hmm. But that he was prepared to, to do that because he just wanted to contribute. And, and, you know, and he knew, like the rest of us, I guess, that any time that he had the, could get the ball in his hands, any time that he was on the field... Um, a, a big play was just was just a play or two away because you felt that every time he was on the field, and I guess you know you felt it with Dion Sanders, mm-hmm. you know when, when he was playing corner when he was at his peak, and you feel it with felt it with Charles Woodson, and mm-hmm. and I can't 
certainly off the top of my head, and I just can't through all of this period of time, I, I can't think of anybody else that you felt like that from a defensive back. Mm-hmm. So no, satisfying. The, the, yeah, sorry. You know, I was just going to say the one difference that I, I really feel um, need to point out, uh, Eric and I talked about this on the last podcast, but with, with the Deion Sanders type, when did you ever see Deion Sanders leave his man after the ball was in the air and go over and level some dude? You know, <laughs> you, you didn't. <laughs> you didn't. And that was the difference. Deion Sanders was as good a cover corner as has ever lived. But that's, you know, that's what he did. He did punt returns, kick returns, and he covered corners. Charles Woodson did everything. Mm-hmm. And he did it at the top of, of uh, the, the league. He was, uh, I mean, he, he, he laid people out. Um, he was a physical uh, run support. Goodness gracious, just the complete package. God, I hope we can find another Charles Woodson with the 29th pick. And one, 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 of the, one of the things for me is, 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 this is kind of an aside, but I think you'll get the point here, is I always think if I was having a party at my house and I look at all of these football players, who would I want to come to that party? And Charles Woodson would be on that would be on that list because you just bring the wine. Yeah, <laughs> yep. he would just be one of those neatest guys, and you know that he's well. You know the personality that he is. You know you you, you know that you're not going to get. I don't know. I don't know how to describe. I don't know how to describe it. He's just one of those guys that you think would be an ideal guest mm-hmm. for your for your party, and that's one of that's one of my tests for for football players is would I invite them around to my house? Yeah, yeah. Um, awesome. I have to uh, uh, get rolling here because we have uh, people talking upstairs, so I'll make an edit on this. But uh, want to recap his career real quick just for everybody listening because for Green Bay, we had seven glorious years with him. In 100 games, he started 100, each one of them. 38 interceptions, 568 return yards, nine touchdowns with a long of 62 yards, 99 passes defended, 15 forced fumbles, six fumble recoveries, and 11 and a half sacks. What a great seven-year run we had with Charles Woodson. And in those 11 years in Oakland, he was fantastic as well, throwing on another 27 interceptions with two touchdowns uh but he really he really came to life in green bay and and this brings up my last question here peter before we close out charles woodson what does he go into the pro football hall of fame as a packer a raider or both both yeah Yeah. both um fortunately with the with the football hall of fame as opposed to some of the others they try not to make a they try not to make a distinction so you know he'll be listed there as 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 both mm-hmm. and Good. you know bar, barring players that only played in a, in a team for one or two years so like ted hendricks played one year with the packers but we don't regard him as a as a mm-hmm. outright packers hall of famer as such but but other than those he'll you know he'll go he'll go in as both and and, and quite right you know he he's his numbers were better with the Packers, but he wasn't with the Packers quite as long as he was with the Raiders. He went to the Super Bowl with the Raiders, went to the Super Bowl, won the Super Bowl with the Packers. So slightly shorter time with the Packers, but more quality. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you know, certainly both, and, and, and both teams, I think, fully deserve, if you like, to have they him. Sure as, they uh, sure you know. do. 
absolutely agree 100 percent uh and eric what are your final thoughts on charles woodson well i guess the, the the last thing that we didn't get to here that i think you just kind of i had to be reminded of it but you had a guy who was you know this community leader great player made everyone else around him better you know just everything you could possibly look for in a football player but we forget a little bit about his balls and his sense of humor and and i'm referring to uh, he was not having anything from the president of the united states barack obama being a bear fan and saying in that championship game that he was going to go if the to the super bowl if the bears won but not if the Packers won. And Charles Woodson, you know the shout back. Uh, yeah, I'll see you at the White House. <laughs> and you know, as the visiting Super Bowl champion, and and that's exactly what happened. And he even had a president of the United States say, "And I learned one thing: don't mess with Charles Woodson." <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, I uh, I appreciate everybody listening. And Peter, we appreciate your knowledge and participation and just honoring one of the greatest Packers of all time, Charles Woodson. Before we head out here, though, Peter, let everybody know where they can reach you on your socials. Yeah, thanks. Thank you both. Um, yeah, at Pro Foot History on Twitter is the best place. Absolutely. Make sure you guys go out and follow Peter on Twitter. He's a great follow. He just reposted uh, one of our YouTubes. We're going to put up this one. We'll match up our Hall of Fame discussions, and you will see just how accurate Peter Jones from the UK is. People, subscribe right now. Like us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podbean, or everywhere you listen to podcasts. We are out there. Our YouTube channel, a lot of fun. Check that out. Acme Army on Twitter at Acme underscore Army. And uh, want to put out a little note here we have touched base with a couple of uh, Packer Nation's leading female voices they will be joining the podcast to give us their perspective because I'll tell you what there's just too many guys talking about the Green Bay Packers out here on the airwaves it's time to include some of these ladies Packer Nation represents we love them so much and we got some great surprise guests coming up for you so with that thank you for listening thank you for your ears we appreciate you thank you Peter for joining us and with that Eric Take us out. Well, first, as I always have to do, thank you so much, Peter, for uh, your insight and wisdom. Uh, it's it's always a pleasure uh, learning from you uh, and uh, hopefully trying to make you laugh a little bit from time to time. Uh, anyways, thank you uh, again for that. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening. And go Pack Go!
hey guys, the the show's over. You can you can turn it off now. Uh, maybe go check out PeterPrinceMusic.com for some of this music because it's ridiculous and a good time. Appreciate you listening. Night night.